So if you'd like to join with me, I'm just going to pray right now. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for this space today where we can talk about some really important things over this next month here in October. And I just simply ask that you might open our eyes, that you might open our hearts to understand what truths are that you would speak into our lives about when it comes to this whole theme of relationships. And we ask that you might guide us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Glad to be here together this morning. When we sort of was thinking about this theme, the naked truth, I thought, you know, how am I going to get everyone back from a cold, miserable September? And I thought the perfect way is to talk about sex. So therefore, everyone will come. And uh, that's actually not quite the, the truth of it. But what I did discover in this last week is that my wife and I were at Aquanation. Has anyone been to the new Aquanation Center here in Ringwood? And uh, we were in there in the hydro pool because we needed to, we were just kind of relaxing after we'd done a workout. And I noticed as the two of us, we were sitting there kind of just cooling off in that hydro pool that um, there was an older couple than ourselves just a few meters away and they were having one of their little quiet tiffs. Have you ever seen a couple having a quiet tiff? Yeah. And, and you could tell because the two of them were kind of muttering under their breath. Um, but they weren't saying anything out loud. And so the, the dynamic, the guy was leaning back on the pool like this and she would come over and she would kind of stand ne- next to him and he was kind of spouting, you know, the fountains of water, you know, like this. And, and she would say something, she'd turn her head and then he'd kind of look away and then she'd kind of move away, yeah? And then when she'd come back in a few moments later and she would say something else and then he would swim away. Yeah, And then he would come back and he'd kind of turn to her, kind of not making sure that no one else, and he would say something and then she would go away. And I thought, man, this is going on forever. Yeah, And, um, and then eventually what happened, as I was observing this, is that the two of them got out of the pool without saying anything and they just walked away to the change rooms. And I thought, there you go. That's a perfect picture, isn't it, of... The challenges of relationships. I've been a pastor for about 18 years now. And in my life so far as a pastor, sitting with couples, preparing them for weddings, sitting with couples who are trying to fix their relationships, put them back together, sitting with people who are trying to figure out how do I actually connect with someone that's going to be a life partner for me, a husband or a wife, how do I do that? I have discovered a few things about relationships along the way. And the first thing I've discovered, and you know it to be true, is that when relationships are working well in our lives, life seems to be going well. (laughs) Yeah? Whether it be with a boss, whether it be with a friend, whether it be with family members, whether it be with friends and community connections, neighbors, when relationships are going well, life seems to go well. Conversely, when relationships turn sour and they go south, there is nothing more depleting, nothing more sapping, nothing more soul, if you like, um, soul, 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 soul distracting and killing and dying than, than a relationship that's gone south. Isn't that right? And in our lives, the relationships that go well, when they're, they're swimming and they're heading on kind of a plane that we're all sort of getting along and everything's together and going okay, it just seems to be going along swimmingly, but for relationships, when they go south, it takes a whole different turn and phase of our life. There's nothing more sapping. So if you're here this morning and you're a single and you'd like to find someone who to be a double with... Um, For the rest of your life, I'm glad this series is for you. If you're here this morning and you are a single again, you have gone through the challenges of a a 
excruciating divorce that no one ever wants to go to. You never got married to get a divorce, but that's where you wind up you are. Then, then this series is for you. If you're here and you are a double this morning, and uh, that, rela- that kind of description of the, the husband and wife in the pool um, kind of reflects something of your experiences. In fact, Ian and Rose shared so magnificently and openly. If, if any of that connects with you, then this series is for you. I think that covers most of us. Because what I discover along the way when I talk about these things, I need you to understand that I want to have a discussion as a pastor. Uh, This is what Paul writes the letter uh, to a group of followers of Jesus in the book of uh, Colossians. He says, So we tell others about Jesus Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all the wisdom God has given us. We want to present them to God perfect in the relationship to Christ. That's why I work and struggle so hard depending on his mighty power that works within me. If you like, if you ask, Paul, why are you talking about relationship things? Why is it that you work so hard and want to actually connect people to Jesus? And why do you actually want to be involved in their lives and ask nosy, pesky questions as a pastor? His intent is this, is so that one day when you get to meet your maker, when you get to stand before God in a judgment time, he's going to call you to account for how you've lived in your life. I want to present you as perfect in relationship with Jesus as possibly can. So this whole frame for this series, as far as I'm going from where I'm sitting, is that I would like us to be a discussion along the way where you hear a pastor's heart that sometimes, like a shepherd, has a crook that wants to push people and other wolves away and that also has his little crook to pull people in close because along the way his heart and his desire is to want to present people as close to relationship to Jesus to allow him to form and shape their lives and their experiences more than anything else. Can I get that? Get that? We're on board with that. So to help with the discussion along the way we're getting so much from you. Has anyone missed an hour of sleep last night? Well, that'll explain it all. So I've got a number here that we're going to help you. So if you've got a little phone device and you want to ask a question, there's something that comes up along the way in your mind. So grab your phones right now if you want to be involved in writing and texting through questions because next week we want to have a space where we can respond to people's questions. You can just put this number in your phone right now. During this week, if you have a question along the way, you can actually go, oh, I'm going to just text that through and we might be able to cover it next week as well. So there it is, 0401. 902-372. Spam will not connect to you after this. If you've been getting some from my account, I apologize. The other way you can do that, there's a yellow slip of paper on your chair this morning. If you want to ask a question along the way throughout the entire series this month, then you can do that and you can place it in the Burgundy letterboxes as you leave as well from the morning time. I want to kick things off and talk about perfection for a moment. Do you know that our culture loves the idea of perfection? It's true. You can have the perfect plate. You can have the perfect voice, you can have the perfect renovation, and there is an idea that runs through our culture that goes something like this, perfection is within your grasp. We need to say that from the very beginning when we talk about relationships, because how I, uh, our expectations and our ideas about relationships are more profoundly shaped by our culture than what you and I might imagine. Perfection is within our reach. There's only one other place where you can find perfection on the television, 
program. Uh, in fact, there's a lot of places, but one in particular that seems to epitomize the idea of perfection, and that is on the series called The Bachelor. Has anyone seen or heard of things, something called The Bachelor? I want to just transport us to last year, 2014, where the idea on The Bachelor is that you can find the perfect date, you can have the perfect date, you can find the perfect man, and he can even do the perfect proposal for you, and it's all within your grasp. Okay, so I'm going to take footage from last year's final where there was a proposal being made where a guy called Blake was making the ultimate proposal to a young woman called Sam. And let's see how it actually went. This is it's so hard to believe that I've Africa. come this far. I never would have thought that I'd be standing here at the end, potentially being the final girl. It is absolutely incredible. <laughs> Is this? <laughs> it is, it is. You look stunning. Absolutely Thank you. stunning. Sam. I came into this experience looking for someone special. I wanted to find someone who was ready to challenge me, who's ready to support me, someone who can inspire me. And Sam, I feel that you completely know me. Sure of anything ever. I have no doubts. No doubts in my mind. 
See, there's something about this, isn't there, that, that we, we kind of, we laugh at it, but at the same time, isn't there still part of us that goes, wow, 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 a proposal in Africa, the ring that's worth $25,000, that's good, because this is what happened just two days afterwards, they arrived back in Australia, and the proposal, the, the engagement was off, and this is what one commentator said, once Blake returned to his everyday life, hence that's really important, everyday life, he realized that they both wanted different things from a relationship and had different priorities. She was heartbroken. He went on to go after the girl that he chose as number two along the way. You see, the truth and the reality is is that we can be intoxicated by this kind of thinking, so much so that we live by this myth. The myth goes like this. When I find Mr. or Mrs. Perfect, my life will be perfectly Right, let me just read that again, if you just missed that. When I find Mr. or Mrs. Perfect, my life will be perfectly right. The only problem with this is that it's wrong. And the truth is that if you tried to keep your relationship at the same kind of level and status that Blake and Sam had in that perfect moment, you will find your life is a miserable, miserable, boring, because reality says, truth says, that that cannot be Sustained. Why? Because it is an illusion. It's not real. Now let's just hit the pause moment. Because I want to fold through the pages of the Bible for a moment and have a look at a book of Genesis, a book of beginnings that actually says something that addresses this myth in a profound way. I want to package three ideas up for you that we're going to travel with over the next three weeks as we unpack this series. The first one comes from Genesis 1. If you want to look it up, it's Genesis chapter 1, and this is how it goes. God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. In other words, there's something that this story, this narrative tells tells us about who God is. God is no, not male. He's not female. He's male and female represents something of who he is. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth, govern it, reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. See, a lot of guys love this particular passage is because when you put one and one together and it says, be fruitful and multiply, it means... Adam uh, and Eve, or man and woman, I want you to go out and have sex. And I want you to have so much sex that you fill the entire earth. Now, some of you guys are going, whoa, I never saw that before. I am really interested in reading the Bible now. Where is that? I want to underline that along the way. I want to make sure I can refer to that. You see, God gave them a task. He said, what I want you to do is kind of bring order out of chaos in my world. I want you to govern it and reign over it. If you like, God set the whole deal up that you and I, people, human beings made in his image, might be his representatives here on earth. Now, if you want to go to the book of Genesis and try and ask scientific questions, like did it happen over a 24-hour time span, you would be asking the wrong question. They would be saying to you, why are you even asking this question in the first place? You see, because this story, this narrative tells you something profoundly about who God is and who we are and why the world is the way it is. Let's look at Genesis chapter 2, the second thing. It takes In Genesis chapter 2, God takes this idea of man and woman on the sixth day and it unpacks it from the perspective of what's unique about man and woman. 
Well, God brings a whole bunch of animals to Adam and he gets him to name them. So they come in twos and he says, um, you've got tall necks. There's, there's one of you and one of her. There's a him and a her. Uh, I'll call you giraffe. And then there were some other animals that came with snappy teeth and he might, uh, I'm going to name them. I'll call them um, crocodiles. And he noticed there was two of them. And at the end of the naming ceremony, if you like, Adam realized that there was no one found according to his likeness. So God actually says, well, I'm going to step into the gap right now. I'm glad you've come to that conclusion, Adam, because that's the conclusion I wanted you to come to. So now what I'm going to do is I'm going to create someone in your likeness, if you like, someone who is going to be kind of like someone who will tackle and speak into your sense of aloneness. So he takes a rib, it says, forms a woman, and the two of them If you like, God brings the woman to Adam and he says these words. He says, at last, the man exclaimed, this is one of my bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She'll be called woman because she was taken from man. At last, that's like the guy going, woohoo, finally, I found someone who's according to my likeness. This is brilliant. This is like the hubba hubba moment in the Bible. Yeah, this is love at first sight. This is at last, it says. And so then it goes on and says this. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Now, the man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. You see, the idea is that at the heart of the way God has wired us, he's wired us for companionship. And so having discovered that idea about uh, male and female human beings, it's like once Adam discovered that there was an Eve and there was two of them were together, The narrator goes on and says, I actually want to tell you, this is why people dwell together in pairs. They dwell together in groups, in communities. But if you like, at the core hub of being able to fulfill that mandate, go and multiply, fill the earth, rule it, govern it, is a man and a woman joined together, the two united to be one, and it describes, if you like, the first marriage. There's a deep-seated desire in human beings that longs and desires companionship. In fact, it reflects something about who God is himself. As Father, Son, and Spirit, there is companionship and there's intimacy within God himself and he has wired that into every human being. Then it goes on. Chapter, I went back one, we're going to go. Chapter three, there we go. And then what happens in the next chapter is the whole thing kind of unravels. God says to the man, I want you to, you can eat of every tree in this uh, garden, but you cannot eat of the tree of good knowledge, uh, of, of good and evil. And, and, and so he, he says this to his wife, and a serpent comes to the wife, which represents the devil or, or evil. And, and the devil comes to the woman, and he says to her, God did not tell you that you shouldn't eat from that. You will not die when you eat from that tree. Because reality is, is that when you eat from the tree, you'll become just like God and you'll be able to discern what is good and what is evil yourself. And so she goes ahead and she takes the apple, not an apple, she takes the fruit, eats it, passes it to the husband, he takes it. And and then what happens is that um, uh, they both realize that they are naked and they go and run into the bushes and hide. God comes in the evening of that night and he comes to them and he says, where are you? They're hiding. They say, well, we're hiding. Why are you hiding? Have you eaten from the tree? And they say, we have. And, and, and this is the first conversation they have with God after it. 
The man replied, it was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit and I ate it. This is exactly where it comes from. This is the first buck-passing, blame-naming relationship in the Bible. There it is. That's where we get it from, guys. Yep. It was the woman. It was your fault. And then the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? She said, it was the serpent's fault. He deceived me. She replied, that's why I ate it. And then as the story unravels, the consequences, it goes something like this. God said, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy and in pain you will give birth. You were the mother to fill the earth. Now something of your experience of pain in pregnancy, you will realize the consequence of, of kind of your sin and rebellion and choosing to do what you want to do. To the man, he said, you will toil in the earth and you'll be frustrated and you'll return to the earth. But he says these words, and you will desire to control your husband but he will rule over you. Now, I don't know if there's a statement that more, if you like, epitomizes the conflict between male and female on this earth than that statement right there. There will be a desire for control, but he will use his force to rule over you. I mean, just in our recent times, looking through the newspapers, isn't that kind of conflict just marked all over us as humans? In fact, what was intended for good was turned upside down, and conflict, if you like, entered into relationships. If you like, it was this idea of, from the beginning, it was supposed to be an ideal relationship where companionship was on task. But what happened was, after human beings decided we want to do things our way, if you like, the disease and the infection of sin infiltrated their thinking and their hearts and their minds that said, I want to do things my way. I want to serve myself, please myself, rule myself. If you like, relationships became like this. <laughs> kind of messy along the way. And in fact, that became the real situation for people. The real with the ideal. Three things. Representatives. Then there was this idea of companionship. But within the very strains of companionship, there would be conflict as well. So what are you telling me, Troy? I'm saying this. The truth is, there is no Mr. and Mrs. Perfect. Just imperfect people made in God's image, longing for companionship. Now, I know some of you are sitting here this morning going, no, 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 Troy, you've got it wrong. You have no idea... You have no idea the depth of my love that I'm feeling right now. My love is truer, stronger, deeper, more lasting than you would ever know. You might have been married for 24 years, but you don't know anything. You might be sitting here this morning and you're going, no, 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 that is not it. Because I really believe that when I find the right person, that they will find me and my life will be complete and we will truly be in love. You don't know love. Chances are, if you're saying that to yourself right now, you have a big dose of this going around your body. We call it, in the relationship business, romance. And romance goes like this. I like you, I love you, I lust you, and there's this thing called chemistry. Yeah? Have you, have you ever had chemistry wired through your system? When you have romance, when you have a high dose of romance in your body, you do some really strange things. Have you noticed that? Is anyone here remembering doing something strange when they had a high dose of romance injected into their body? Okay, 
just me. Uh, I, the romance thing goes like this. I like you. I love you. I lust you. I have chemistry with you. I remember when I was proposing to my wife and I had a huge dose of romance in me. It was up in Brisbane and we were going to uh, on a paddle steamer ride and it was the perfect night because I didn't want it to rain and, and I had the, the perfect CD collection of music and, and I had the perfect perfume chosen and the perfect location uh, on a hillside to propose to her and then we got on the paddle steamer and, and the clouds started to come over, yeah, and lightning and I'm like, oh God, oh God, this is not the perfect night. Uh, do I have to take this as a sign that you don't want me to propose anymore to her because I wanted the perfection to happen, yeah? And then we, we conversed and I was kind of real mumbly and fumbly on the dinner boat kind of thing. And then afterwards when I was leaving, the most perfect thing to happen when you are wanting to propose to the, your, the future wife, right? The perfect. I left the dinner boat without paying the bill, Yeah. So just we were going to go off into the distance to the mountain, the Africa, to make my proposal, yeah? I had the waiter running after me. One of the most embarrassing moments of my life. Excuse me, sir, you forgot to... I still proposed. She still said yes. And I've been loving every minute of it since. Romance. You see, the truth of the matter is, if you build a relationship on romance... When the romance dies in 6 to 12 to 18 months, you'll start to think like this. What have I done wrong? I must have chosen the wrong kind of person. I know what I'll do. Honey, let's have a baby. We're going to fix all of this. Honey, let's go on a trip. Honey, let's, let's change houses. Honey, uh, there might be someone else. I've connected with someone else in my life and they've given me all of the chemistry you can imagine and, and I'm thinking I got the wrong person so now I need to get to the right one. You see, the reality is when you ask yourself, God, who would you like me to become in order to be the kind of person that you know is good for the person that I'm going to be with, this simple question becomes all important. You see, when you turn to the Bible and ask God, what do you say about relationships? It seems as though the Bible speaks back saying, I want you to be the person that you're looking for is looking for. Let me say that again. When you come to the Bible and you ask the Bible, God, what would you say about relationships and what you, would you say to, uh, to me about finding the right person and, and finding someone to stay with and, and staying in a relationship that kind of lasts, I believe the Bible would speak back to you and whisper these kind of words. I want you to be the person that you're looking for is looking for. You see, when someone asks this question in their life about themselves, whether they're single, double, or single again, it kind of, rather than asking and trying to extract something from someone else to give you, to make you feel good, it asks a question of you to say, who will you be in order to make sure that the person that you're going to meet in the future or the person that you have right now in front of you is kind of being able to discover something in you that you're giving to them Because you want to make you the person that God is shaping so that together you can serve one another and love one another in deep richness 
Be the person that you're looking for is looking for. When you search the Bible, there's one particular place that Paul writes about. That he says these words in a slightly different way. And he says them like this. Never act out of selfish ambition or vain or vanity. Instead, regard everybody else as your superior. Look after each other's best interests and not just your own. Never act out of selfish ambition. The idea here is that when you go into a relationship, no matter what kind of relationship it is, you go to them and you say, I wonder what person I need to be in order to make sure that they're the kind of person, if you like, what, do, what kind of relationship and what kind of person do I need to be in order to serve them so that they can be the best person that they can be? What kind of person and what kind of interests do I need to adapt and adopt in my life so that I can serve them in such a way that they will fly? God, what is it that's selfish about me and my ambition that you need to do some working on in order to make me the person that I know another person is looking for? And it begins with me. He goes on and says this, everybody else as your superior. What I want you to do in your relationships is I want you to treat the person who's next to you not as your servant, but as your superior. He goes on and says, look after each other's best interests, not just your own. In other words, when people come to a relationship, if they're truly interested in finding the person or being the kind of person that will be the best kind of person for their future partner or the current one they have, they ask a question, not what will you give me, but what can I give you? And to do that, it requires a huge amount of humility in realizing that I don't have it all together all the time myself. You see, when we look for Mr. and Mrs. Perfect and we think we find them, we discover that they were looking for Mr. and Mrs. Perfect as well. Be the person that you're looking for, is looking for. Band's going to come up in a moment. This week, I asked some questions of our singles around NCR. I said to them, could you help me understand a little bit more fully about some of the world in which you live? Being a double, having a wife, I find it sometimes hard to to kind of know what's going on in your thinking and your frame of reference. What can you tell me about your experience of singleness here at NCR? And what I discovered when they, they answered and responded back to me was this sense of, Troy, we have the same desire for companionship just like anybody else. And the challenge is is that we find it hard because our life, if we've been older, um, hasn't always mapped out the way in which we thought it might map out. And as a result of that, we kind of see ourselves, my words, waiting at a bus stop. My words to you if you're single here. So don't treat your singleness as a bus stop. Treat it like a swing. Treat it like an opportunity for you to be the best person that you could be wherever you are, serving God, loving Him, living life. Be the best person you can be. And to the community of people here, I'd say, we need to be the kind of people that don't just look to our own interests, but also to the interests of others. Singles, doubles, single again. 
so that everyone might be able to experience a sense of companionship, no matter where they are. Does that make sense? I want to speak to those who are single again here for a moment. I want to say to you, don't treat your life right now like a merry-go-round. If you're just newly single again, or, or it's been some time, don't treat your life like a merry-go-round, like I've just got to get back straight into another relationship uh, uh, again, the straight away. What I'd encourage you to do is to take that idea, be the person you're looking for, is looking for, so that when and if you meet someone down the track, you've put yourself in the best position and place you can be to be the best person for them. The reality is, if you don't do that, second, third, fourth marriages don't have a higher stat of being together. They have less because you end up taking the same person into the next relationship. Lastly, if you're a double here, there's a temptation, isn't there? Grass is greener over there. Had a bad day. Bad week. Bad month. The person at the office makes me feel really good. I can lose myself in my work, my activity. Something greener over there. I would say to you, whilst you're in your relationship and pushing ahead to make it go and thrive, you need to be the best person. You need to be the person you're looking for is looking for now that you're living with them and you're living with yourself. <laughs> you need to ask that question of yourself every day. How can I continue to be the person I'm looking for is looking for? And where that begins is when you open up your life and you say, I want to change, I want to learn. And what I discover along the way is that there is a God who's more than willing to pour his life into us so we can have that same attitude that Jesus Christ did, who gave all, loved all, served all, so that he could give us his best so that we could be made right with God. We're going to finish off with a song, and it's called Good, Good Father. I want to finish off, or I want to sing this song every week in this October, because it tells the truth about who God is. God can be trusted with my life, with my singleness, my doubleness, my singleness again, and that he's a good, good Father. If you want to hear these words, if you want to pray, if you want to sing along with them, do so. Meet with God now.